Abba Yahweh, your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom that you allow me to share and that you bestow on me, Father God, your conduit to take from your treasury, to share your word, Father God, and that you bless me so mightily in allowing this to take place. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for your love and for this word. Abba Yahweh, Amma, Yeshua, Amma, Barakaitosama. So, I was sharing with you some last night. I was, um, the Holy Spirit was stirring in and uh, allowing me to speak the way I did because it was righteousness, truth, and this is the way He always treats it. When I'm speaking righteously, truthfully, and upright, He's not going to interfere. He's going to let me continue to share that way. If He finds me straying, He's going to put a stop and He's going to let me know. This is my good, good Father who guides me to be in the Word, righteous, bold, upright, and truthful. It always must be that way. It must be His way or no way. It is that way because He is sovereign. Period. I'm going to share some further with you that um, I had uh, one moment, please. I'm I'm looking up this. Uh, make sure I get this all right because I want to share it correctly. Um, when I was talking about the passion, why do they call it the passion of Christ? And remember, I shared with you before, I'll remind you, that when you hear people say Jesus Christ, that's not his middle name, okay? That's not his middle name. Paul was called Christ. Surely he is Christ. The word Christ means anointed of God. It's a definitive word, anointed of God. Jesus, anointed of God. Jesus Christ. Okay, and a lot of people mistake that for his middle name. They think that's what it, oh, that's, that's his middle name. No, it's not. It's what he is. Point, passion, the passion of Christ. Before I get off into these things, you know, I find it very sad that we cannot be that way with sharing the gospel. And this is, God just asks us to share the gospel of his only begotten son who came to this earth because of his passion, God's passion, for us, but we find so many excuses not to do the sharing of the truth, the knowledge, and wisdom of Lord God Almighty and Jesus who came and died, but we find so many excuses not to do the sharing. And I'm going to read some definitive issues about passion. This is 
from dictionary. Any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling. They say love or hate, but in the case of Jesus, I'm going to expel hatred because sin was the only thing that he hated. Any powerful, compelling emotion or feeling is love. Strong, amorous feeling or desire, love or affection. But see, with Jesus, it wasn't amorous love. It was agape love. It is agape love. Agape, unconditional. Amorous has to do with eros or even filial love, brotherly, sisterly love, or uh, intimate love. But the love that Jesus had was agape, is agape love. An instance or experience of strong love. A person toward whom one feels strong love. We are his passion. And yet we have an issue with reciprocating that. A strong or extravagant fondness, enthusiasm or desire. I wouldn't say that it was extravagant. Some might say so. But I mean, he stepped off of his throne. He was in heaven, on a throne, prince of heaven, captain of the host of heaven. The only begotten son was sent to earth. God manifested as Christ here on earth because of his For God so loved the world. That's passion. And we are the object, says here, the object of such fondness. That would be us. We are the passion of God, Abba Yahweh, and Jesus. An outburst of strong emotion or feeling. Did Jesus not do that? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because all the sins of the world at that moment were on him. God could not bear to see his son covered in the sins of the world. But then at the same moment, turning back. Because that was the purpose that Jesus came for to take on the sins of the world, to confront our sins so that we would not have to be wrestling with them for our lives. He came to save our soul. Things that we have to wrestle with in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm, Jesus came. He is our redeemer. He is our Savior. We are sanctified, redeemed, and saved because of His sacrifice, His passion. The state of being acted upon or affected by something external. 
especially alien to one's nature or one's customary behavior. The customary behavior of mammon, whether you like it or not, or you don't agree, but it's in the word of God, it's a truth, and it's actually true. If you look around, what is the normal reaction to people when they want to argue with you and they want to fuss with you? You want to get loud and you want to argue back. You don't just, you don't do as Jesus would do and just sit there and look and be silent and let them say whatever they want to say. What was that? Uh, there was an old saying as a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But people don't act that way. Somebody says something, oh my goodness gracious, it sets off a Roman candle under somebody's tail end, and it goes right up the spine through the brain and then your head explodes and you just start cursier expletives and you scream back and you And what's the point? They were words, only words. Somebody's perspective, it's not even factual, it's opinion. An opinion is not a fact. And some of the things that are said are not even based on fact. They're simply things of hearsay, rumors, gossip, mongering. So somebody decides that they know you because of all those, and then you get mad and you start screaming back. Instead of shooting out the bullet prayers that I tell you to do, and I find myself getting to the edge of that sometimes, but then I just, I, spirit, take my tongue. I must because my warrior spirit wants to take over. And I was a Marine for 10 years. I went to some pretty horrible things, but I was one way. And now I'm different. And what happened in between was the salvation of my Jesus. My Jesus happened. My Jesus came for me. What was he thinking? He was thinking about me. And anyone else who would have an ear and hear the truth. And that passion that Jesus has for me. How can I deny sharing the gospel for the passion that he stepped off his throne, set down his crown and came down here and was crucified, beaten so that he could barely make the walk even without the cross. And then they thought it to be funny that they put that cross on him and make him carry it to Golgotha up all the way out of the city of Jerusalem, an uphill climb all the way out, all the way up, down steps, up steps. And they thought it funny. Yeah, we're going to beat him so he can hardly walk and then we're going to make him carry it up there too. But he was so worn out and had nearly bled out from being beaten before the walk. He had to have help. Somebody had to come and carry the cross the rest of the way for him because he couldn't make it. How can I deny my Lord? I can't. I can't deny that Jesus came for me. There are those who are slothful and lazy Christian. And that's just a fact. If the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, don't get your knickers in a twist about it. The truth is the truth. And there are individuals out there that find every excuse imaginable as to not share the gospel of Jesus who came and died that way. The description that I gave you, it's 
factual. It's truth. They beat him nearly to death before he was taken up Golgotha and crucified to death. And yet, there will be those who say, oh, but what if? What if? What if they make fun of me? But what if? What if? Even if they make fun of you, share the word. You don't have to stand there. Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out into the world, and he sent them to testify, to preach, and to share. He told them, he said, don't take anything with you, just go. And if the city accepts you, and they let you come in and you teach, you stay with them as long as they will have you. They are going to feed you. They're going to take care of you. And they did. And he said, the city that refuses to hear or refuses to hear what you have to say and won't let you in, turn around, walk away, leave. You don't have to stay there and be confrontational. Walk away. As his disciples, we don't have to stand and have somebody scream at us and holler at us and disagree with us and use cursory expletives and all those things. Don't have to stand there and take it. But there are individuals that will. They're going to stand there and then they're going to want to argue back and, and argue the scripture with, what is that? That's not, remember that little old saying I told you that it turned into uh, an anagram and uh, uh, WWJD? That it turned into this little gizmo thing many, many years ago. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus sit there and scream the scripture back in their face and all? He didn't do that with the Sanhedrin. They were looking to crucify him. He stood silently most of the time when they were becoming accusatory. When they demanded answers from him, he didn't say anything or he spoke to them calmly. His... Uh, this thing was explained to me by my earthly father and, and some others had shared the same thing. But when they started screaming and hollering and getting all loud and getting, well, point of fact, stupid about something, <clears throat> lower your voice. Because if you start screaming and hollering back the way that they are, then it just becomes a shouting match and no one can understand anything that anybody's saying. Lower your voice, lower your pitch. And speak in a relatively calm voice. Matter of factly, I need to go now and simply walk away. The scripture tells us as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah were bold, upright, courageous, not cowardly, not compromising, but standing boldly upright, not confrontational. Not one time did they confront, become argumentative and confrontational with Nebuchadnezzar. And he was getting ready to kill them. The three simply told him, said, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. So what would the point of arguing be? What would be the point in us telling our side of anything? You have the intention on putting us in the furnace anyway. And we are not going to submit. We are not going to relent. We are not going to step down. And we are not going to compromise with you. Our Lord God is sovereign Lord. Our faith in him is the same whether you put us in a furnace and destroy our physicality 
we still have faith in God. And if he chooses to save us from the furnace, he will do so. And we will praise him and say, and if he chooses not to, then we are going to go to our glory in heaven and be with God the Father anyway. And they didn't confront Nebuchadnezzar. He took him and he threw him in the furnace or his guards threw him in there. And the guards were struck dead because the heat of the furnace was intensified so much. The guards that took them to throw them in there were struck down by the intense heat. And yet, what did Nebuchadnezzar see? And then he declared rhetorically to his counselors, because he already had an answer. The answer was given to him in his own visionary. He said, did we not put three men in the furnace? Then why is there a fourth? And he is like unto the son of God. Look in the book of Daniel, because it's there. Jesus Christ was revealed by the spirit and authority that is in him to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus Christ standing in the burning furnace with the three, walking around freely. When they were taken out of the furnace, they were beckoned out. Their clothes were not burned. Their hair was not singed. Their skin was not singed. Not anything was harmed. They didn't even smell of the fire. Anybody been on a camping trip? When you put the wood in the fire... And you sit around a campfire, you don't even have to be in the direct line of the smoke when it blows around, but you're just sitting near the fire. What happens? Your skin, your clothing becomes permeated with a campfire smell. They didn't even smell like they'd been in the fire. What do you think that furnace was stoked up with? Possibly oil and, and wood, but that was thrown up. They didn't even smell of the fire. Daniel was taken and put in the lion's den. He didn't crouch down and cower in the corner. He just sat against the wall there and the lions, I, my perception of this is, and the lions came out, they looked at him, they might have sniffed him once or twice and then they laid down. The Lord sealed the mouths of the lions, took their hunger away. They weren't hungry. They weren't going to eat them anyway because God was going to stay them. And he did. So Daniel just sat down. And of course, the king put him in there and he was upset about that because of the lies of the counselors. And that actually it was a trick that they used to get the king to sign the decree that put him in there. The king liked Daniel. And he came down. He didn't sleep all night. He didn't sleep at all. He was constantly restless. And he, he went down first thing in the morning. Didn't even stop for a cup of coffee. He went straight to the lion's den. And he hollered, slapped the wall. And he hollered in, Daniel, Daniel. Daniel answered him. The king was relieved. And Daniel wasn't mad at him. Daniel didn't hold animosity to him. They didn't start arguing about it. You know what? I've done all this for you all this time. And then you throw me in the lion's den. What's your problem? And blah, blah, blah. Didn't go to that. Didn't go that way. Didn't go that way. They took him out. And the king was very upset with his counselors when he realized that he had been duped. Because they didn't like Daniel. And what happened to them? And as they say, now we know the rest of the story. We used to say that uh, Paul Harvey, 
the rest of the story is that they were taken into custody and they were thrown in the lion's den and they were declaring, oh, somebody must have fed the lions before Daniel went in there because they didn't touch him. Well, as soon as they hit the pavement on the bottom of the, den, uh, the lion's den, they were torn asunder and devoured. The lions fell on them and ate them. So that little thing about the lions being full tummy didn't pan out. But these men had passion in their faith for God. So much so that they stood up boldly, courageously. They did not step down in cowardice. They did not step aside in compromise. They would not compromise anything. When they first went to Babylon, you recall, may recall, may not recall, but there was a time where they came and they wanted them to eat the food that was offered to the false deities and they wanted them to... uh, dine with them and eat what they ate, and they refused. They said, no, we're going to eat as we normally do, and, and this, is, this is not good because it's offered to false deities. You're false gods, and we won't do this. So there was actually a little bit of a wager that was made. And Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah, they ate the way they ate. They prayed to God, Abba Yahweh, And they did exactly as they were brought up to do and exactly as they had faith and believed to do. God honored that. God made them persevere through this where the others were becoming weak and fainting and falling out. The four remained strong, robust. They even gained in stature. Their mental faculties were strengthened. At the end of the little wager, they were ahead. They were, as a analogy, use amendment. They they were ahead by points. Oh yeah. They remained clear-minded. They remained strong, steadfast, and actually had gained in stature. The Bible is very clear. But their passion for God, Abba Yahweh, Maker of all things made, Ancient of Days, El Shaddai. Adonai Hashem. All those things that God is. And their passion for that kept them. As our passion for God, we should have and share with others. And yet those are here amongst us that will not do so. They will lay every excuse out. Gideon laid excuse after excuse after excuse to God. He said, hey, Look, I'm the weakest in my father's house. My brothers are trying to pick one of my brothers. They can do. No, this was to glorify God for God's glory and wasn't to glorify Gideon. It wasn't to make Gideon out to be better than anyone else or anything else. And what did he do? If you don't remember the story, Gideon was directed to take the men down and put them at the stream. And And he was going to choose the men by how they drank from the water. Those that were on guard and they they were kneeling and bringing the water up to them and keeping an eye out, those were the ones that he was going to pick and take. And those others that went down as cattle would do and lower their head down to the stream and drink water were going to be expelled from the choice. And Gideon wound up with, I can't remember the number, I think it was 3,500, 3,000, 3,500. And they were going up against an army of 
three times that, four times that, and they were victorious. Why? Because God was in control. God was sovereign at that time. God is sovereign. Gideon brought up excuse after excuse after excuse. Moses brought excuse after excuse after excuse. You know, hey, I don't, I'm not so eloquent in speech. I can't do this. I can't do that. And, you know, hey, I got sheep to take care of. I got this and that to do. Got to take care of that too. Hey, Moses. Okay, you're right. Here's what we'll do. We'll send Aaron with you. Aaron, Aaron is eloquent speech. Speech is really, really, he'll do it. And he'll do all the things that you don't feel comfortable in doing, but you're going to do it through him and you're going to do it exactly the way I tell you to do it and you're going to tell him exactly the way I tell you to do it. And Aaron will do it. Yeah, that's the ticket. We're going to send Aaron with you. So all your excuses are for not. They don't matter to me anyway. I'm your sovereign God. And he sent Aaron. And they went together before Pharaoh. And as God commanded, except the one time, and that one time, Moses was penalized. He could not cross the Jordan and go into the land of Canaan with the nation. He was not allowed to do that. What did he do? God told him to speak to the stone and command the water to come forth because they were whining and crying about water. But through their journey and all the other times, Moses tapped the stone with his staff and the water would come up. So this time that God told him to speak to the stone and Moses took the staff and he struck the stone, contrary to what God had told him to do. So Moses was penalized. Couldn't cross the Jordan with the nation of Israel. But when they went, he was told to tell Joshua and remind him. And Joshua told the elders of the tribes and the leaders of the tribes to remind their people when they crossed that river and they were going in to look back and remember. Not to look back in remorse, not to look back in regret, not to look back in anything except to look back and remember. Remember all the times that God was with them. Remember. When you look back, you don't look back in remorse or regret. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. None of that's allowed. You look back and say, thank you, Abba, for being with me. Thank you, Father, for being with me on that stretch of highway and taking me away from that tow vehicle that was behind the blind curve and that if I had not paid attention to your spirit talking to me, I would have struck that and would have killed two people. Thank you, Father, for speaking to me through the Holy Spirit on that bridge that I was going to take my own life because of my distress and because of my being so upset. And I didn't even think about my parents. I didn't think about anyone that was alive that was left. I didn't think about my children. I didn't think about their mother and anything that was going on. It was about me and my distress and I was going to drive off the edge of that bridge and plummet to the ocean below. 
And thank you, Father God, for your passion, your love for me, that the Holy Spirit came and reminded me, said, what about your grandchildren? Now I have four grandchildren, watching them grow up. Unfortunately, we live miles away. I mean, I can't be with them like I would like to be. But I'm here and they can communicate with me and talk to me anytime they want to. If I had driven off the bridge like I intended to do, like I wanted to do, and like my problems were all about me. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that still small voice and said, what about your grandchildren? And my children were not even out of the middle years of grade school yet. But the Spirit of God saw the future, saw things that we cannot see, we might hope for, we might think about, but don't see them, but God saw that. And the Holy Spirit said, what about your grandchildren? And I didn't go off. He didn't allow anything else to happen when I was in the military. God's got a purpose for me. My purpose, I am to share the gospel, the good news of the Lord God, and I will do so. And I am passionate about this, and I get carried away sometimes, which is why my messages might take a little longer and why I have actually gone to my hour limit line that they have on this. I've gone to that. Well, I have only one thing to say. So what? What if I do go a little bit long? This is the gospel of the Lord that we're talking about here. We're talking about sharing his truth, knowledge, and wisdom. It's his truth, knowledge, and wisdom, not mine. This is to give anyone an opportunity out there who's hearing this truth to make a decision, to come and have Jesus come into their heart, be with them and guide them with the Holy Spirit. He will walk and guide and teach he will clarify things that you don't have clear in your own mind. He will provide clarity through the Spirit. And you remember what Jesus told the woman at the well. He told her that there will come a time. And that time was when he was crucified and the veil was torn from top to bottom. Because before that took place, the high priest was the only one allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And he was the only one allowed to go beyond the veil. And people had to spay pay a special tribute and their offering and all this and, and uh, you know, their sacrifice so that the, the high priest would go beyond that veil. Was the only one that God allowed to come in there and survive and not die because they were going into the Holy of Holies. God would manifest himself there. And this was uh, by the old law. But see, Jesus was coming and going to be crucified so that that wouldn't have to take place anymore. That we could come to the Father and worship the Father in spirit and truth. Remember what he told the woman. He said, you come to the Father in truth and spirit because he is spirit and you will be able to worship him wherever. You don't have to go to a particular synagogue. And the Samaritans, they had um, kind of a small temple that they worshiped at and their thing was that they weren't allowed to go into Jerusalem. I mean, come on. They were related. They were related, but they weren't allowed to go into Jerusalem because they were Samaritans. Pretty pathetic, actually, but I mean, we have that issue going on now. It's relative as now. The word of God is relative today as it was yesterday and beyond. We have that issue now. Oh, 
can't come to our church. You're this way and you're that way. What? You don't dress right. You don't this right. You, you don't worship that way. You don't. And then you have churches that have the audacity, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to tell somebody that they can't pray to God in the spirit because they don't believe in the spirit, spiritual gifts. There are churches that are like that. You are not allowed to raise your hand. You're not allowed to worship God audibly. It's like you're going into a museum. This is why Jesus had issues with religion, and he said that, because they put God in a little card box and they let him come out only on special occasions, that they tried to control the spirit and nature of God. How arrogant and audacious is that? Just like David told Michael, he told her when she came up and said, oh, you're out there jumping around. You took off your iPod and you're out there running around in your your underclothes. Basically, it was uh, an apron-like um, material that they would wear underneath and and they would wear that underneath the, their overgarment and they called that their under underwear. Of course, we have different now. But she said, oh, I was embarrassed for you. Wait a second. You can only be embarrassed if you allow yourself to be embarrassed. David wasn't embarrassed about it. He was worshiping God because of all that God was walking with him. God led them. God delivered them, provided that, that David could share things with all the people, and he did so. And then his wife is going to declare how she was embarrassed for him and how he embarrassed her. She wasn't even out there. She locked herself in the, into the palace and was watching out a window. And then she declared how embarrassed she was. And then she was going to be so embarrassed when she had to ever be seen in public again with her entourage that she was going to be embarrassed. This is what she was going, what was going on in her mind about her. This wasn't about her. This is about David worshiping God. He became passionate about his worship to God because God was with them and stood with them and delivered them. David was joyful. He was worshiping God. Who, the audacity that some have to tell a person how they are to worship. That is not allowable. But here's the thing too. You don't have to get confrontational about it or argumentative. Let them say their piece or whatever. You worship God the way the Spirit leads you to worship. Just remember this too, is that when you're, when you're speaking in tongue, be be in control. Don't get don't get so so boisterous about it. Because there's a thing when you speak in tongues, it is for it's unknown. It's a heavenly language, and it's right. And God will deliver that to be shared, but there will be an interpretation, so there is not confusion caused because nobody can understand that speech. And the utterance might be given a specific language known here on this plane of existence, God can do that. And I have actually seen that done in church before where the person speaking, it happened to be my mother, by the way. I will share that. My mother's never gone. My mother was a depression era child. She was one of 12 children in the depression. Couldn't afford to send her to keep her in school. They had to have her working so that she could make money for the family to survive. She didn't go to school and learn any languages. She 
she barely knew our native tongue, our our native tongue being from my our heritage being uh, Oneida, and she didn't. She knew one or two native words, but that's it. She didn't. English is what she learned, but she was speaking Filipino, and it was shared that because there was a young Filipino family that was there, young man and his wife, Filipino. And it was asked if somebody had the interpretation, nobody responded. But see, the pastor knew that there was, a, that somebody understood what was going on. So it was, it was called so that it didn't confuse anyone. And as a pastor is supposed to do, but he knew that the interpretation was there. And the young man later came and the next, the next service the pastor shared with us that he understood everything that was said and everything that was said was in his native tongue, his native language, Filipino. And he knew and he felt in his heart of hearts that the message was specifically intended for him and his family. But he was also embarrassed to share out loud, which he was, the spirit didn't compel him to do so, but the spirit gave him that message. And the pastor then shared the gist of the message with permission of this young man and, and was given. And so he shared that with us. The God, work, God works in mysterious ways. The Bible tells us the mystery of God remains mysterious and will always be a mystery. We need to stop trying to figure things out with our finite mind and we need to stop trying to decide what God meant to say, what God means to say. The Holy Spirit will tell us what God is telling us through the Spirit and he will guide our steps, he will guide our way, he will guide our hearts, he will guide our tongue, he will guide our intellectual knowledge taking words from the Bible, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will guide us through that. We are told that that will happen. And that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus shared that with us. We need to be much more passionate. So here's a couple things that I'm going to share in the passion so Jesus was with his disciples and as we find in Luke 22, I'm going to start reading in verse 39. And he came out and went as he want to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me drew a breath, said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There came an angel to him from heaven, strengthening him. See, God knew that he was going through anguish. God knew that Satan was milling around and, and tempting him to give. He knew. God knew. God knew. And he sent an angel to minister to him and strengthen him and provide for him. And then, of course, Satan fled. 
coward he is. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Passionate in his prayer, his fervent prayer. And when he went and he found the disciples were sleeping, he told them to pray so that they wouldn't fall into the temptation. And while he was speaking to them, and this is in the book of Luke, and you see Luke tends to be, Matthew and Luke tend to be the more detail-oriented, as I shared with you, Luke being a physician, very detail-oriented about certain things, and Matthew was, of course, a bookkeeper and a linguistics uh, professional, and he was very detail-oriented. And in verse 47, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, a multitude, Remember, there were Herodians, uh, temple guards, and Romans, and they all banded together. They wouldn't think to do so otherwise, but they were directed by their, their leadership to do so. And while he had spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And they were which were about him saw what would follow. They said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then, this is what I've shared with you before, then Jesus rebuking him said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Because that's where they dwelt. They dwelt in darkness. They dwelt in untruth. They dwelt in lies. And he confronted them before about that. He said, you wouldn't recognize the truth as it stands before you because you are of your father and you speak your father's native language, which is that of lies. You are the sons of perdition. You are the sons of Satan and you speak lies and deceit. So you are in darkness and you wouldn't know the truth and you don't know the truth as it stands before you. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Brothers and sisters, the passion that Jesus has for us, has for us, not just had, because he still has that passion, that love for us, that desire for us to be adopted into the family, adopted to be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are called that according to the word of God. God himself tells us that we are adopted we become heirs and joint heirs in the kingdom of heaven. That's a literal promise from God that we can stand on and hold on to because he said so. Those of you that have not made a decision, that are looking to decide, Jesus loves us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the passion of love that God, the agape love that God has for us. 
And some might say that it's a repayment and a recompense for what Jesus did is to share the gospel. God doesn't look at it that way. I don't look at it that way. Because there's no amount of lifetimes that we have that can repay that anyway. Only one thing that God directs, and we should do so out of our own hearts, is to share the gospel, the good news that Jesus came for us. He is in our high priest. He is in intercessory prayer. He prays for us on a daily basis in heaven. The Bible tells me that he does that. And the Bible also talks about him being in the high order of Melchizedek, the high priest. He is our high priest. He goes to the temple in heaven daily and prays over us. As he did, he prayed over the disciples. He prays over us. When he's praying to God, he's not only praying over those 12 that he chose and that were there with him. He's praying over us, that I send them out into the world, Father, that they would share and he asked God to guide us and protect us. He is, the Bible, he's speaking physically there with them, but we are also there in spirit, whether you get it or you don't, it's the facts, it's the truth. And the Holy Spirit tells me so. Jesus Christ not only warned them about how it would be in the days of Noah, he's talking to them physically, they were there physically with him, but he's speaking to us. We are his disciples. We are disciples. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we are his disciples. Anyone that believes in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, and have faith in God and faith in the Holy Spirit to guide our steps and our ways, we are disciples. We are to share the word, the gospel, the good news that everyone, everyone, this is God's desire that everyone would have an opportunity to be saved and become members of the family. And as our adoption letter declares Romans 8, Romans chapter 8 is, I call it that, that's the heading I put on it, and it is that way. If you read it, you will see why I'm saying it. It is our adoption letter. It is our adoption letter. And this is what we are promised, we are told in these things in the book of Romans 8. Hold on a second. I'm going to flip a couple pages and we're going to be there. I should just put a marker in that all the time. But Romans chapter 8, I put over in the sidebar, my adoption letter. Chapter 8, there's a little subheading there. Who are free from condemnation? 5, 13. What harm cometh of the flesh? 6, 14. What good of the spirit? 17. And what of being God's children? And 31, the Christian's hope. Those are just highlights of where you could go specifically through chapter 8 and see. The number one, primary, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God does not condemn. We condemn ourselves and our unbelief in our lack of faith. We condemn ourselves. Do not condemn yourself and do not be children of perdition. Do not take the path to show. Take the path 
that takes us to righteousness, to God the Father. Be a joint heir. Be in the family and come into the glory of heaven. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers every day. And for those of you that haven't decided to become a member of the family, it's very easy to do. You don't need a big parade to do so. You can do so on your own. You can do so with a, a good, close friend who's a believer who will pray with you. You can do so at church. However you, you do that, but just come. Yes, Father, I believe. Yes, Father. Jesus, I believe that you are the only begotten Son, that you came here you were, what were you thinking, Jesus? You were thinking of me. You came here for me and anyone else that would listen, but you came for me. I believe and I want to have faith in God. I want to have the Holy Spirit to guide my step. That's all it takes. In Jesus' name, amen. And your life will be changed. You just believe and have faith. Have a great day. You're in my prayers. I'm going out and my coming in.